You're listening to a parish podcast, a reimagined faith community. A couple of years ago, I found myself sitting with a professional boxer. Now, I might have guessed before he told me that that's what he did. Do you know some professions kind of just have a look? Over time, some people just begin to embody their vocation. This guy looked like he'd had quite a career. He definitely won quite a few matches, but it looked like maybe he'd lost just as many. Unfortunately, I met him because his life had gotten hard. Grief and emotional trauma brought what looked like an invincible man to his knees and knocked him out. Now, I was fascinated listening to him tell me about what it was like living in the world of competitive sport, the stamina, the discipline, the sacrifice. It's not a world I've ever lived in. I guess the closest maybe that I've ever come to that was a spelling bee in grade eight. So I listened closely. As he talked, I was amazed at what I was hearing. And I got the impression that maybe he just wasn't listening as closely to the sound of his own voice. I mean, how can we, really? It's further evidence to me of why we need community. We need others in our life to help us hear what it is that we're really saying. When my friend was done, I asked him if he heard what it was he was telling me. Now, he didn't understand what I was getting at. So I told him that it seemed that he already was in possession of the secrets to a better life. And that maybe he just couldn't hear the forest for the traffic. I began to repeat back to him what he had told me just minutes earlier. He described for me the incredible discipline of his training. This practice involves getting up early and pushing himself to do that which was not easy to do. What he didn't feel like doing, but what was needed. His diet, his rest, most parts of his life were carefully thought through because they had an overlapping effect on his goal to be a champion boxer. His training involved him doing what he hoped would produce in him something better. And there was no guarantee, of course, but he did it in faith. Even on days when his feelings didn't match the notification on his alarm clock, and he always got up, and after 20 minutes of working out, he said his attitude always changed. I looked at him, and I was like, Jeff, this is gold. I began to write some thoughts down in a notebook, and he looked at me like he was on the outside of an inside joke. I looked up. I said, Jeff, can I tell you what I just heard? You told me that in your training, you have learned not only the practice, the, the proactive side of throwing a punch, but the reactive side of taking a hit. You train to win, but also how to surrender to defeat and get back up and learn. You discovered that you are more than a series of defeats, but also more than a wall of trophies. He agreed that I'd listened well. And that's when I suggested again that maybe he hadn't. Jeff was making the same mistake that so many of us make until we wake up. Wisdom doesn't come from a book or a YouTube video. It happens when we hear it deep inside calling to us. Is it possible that boxing was a metaphor for many of Jeff's issues? Sure, it's not perfect. Metaphors never are. But with a little imagination, perhaps he can get out of his head 
and into his body, into his spirit. Imagine believing that buried in our everyday, ordinary lives are the secrets that can actually help us produce a beautiful life. Jesus thought so. I told Jeff that he may be farther ahead than he knows, even spiritually. Jeff then looked at me and said, oh, no, 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 I'm not a very religious person. I looked at him and said, Jeff, you're more religious than most people I know. I don't know if the look on his face was shock or disgust, but I, I obviously needed to clarify this beautiful word that has gotten lost in misuse. You see, in the etymology of the word religion, we find the Latin word religare, to bind or to connect. It's where we get the word ligament from. Religion is often considered a negative word, especially in North America in the last 30 years. You'll often hear Christians say, oh, I'm not religious, I'm into a relationship. Now listen, unfortunately that notion is not only not helpful, it's just not true. To be fair, much of it is semantics for sure, it's how we use the word. Because religion can be a beautiful thing. Jesus was religious. And believe it or not, he told us to be, to be the same. Of course, I know I need to qualify what I mean. You see, we're all already religious about a lot of different things. If you're into working out like my friend Jeff, you're religious about the gym and your diet. If you're religious about your music, you know, you've got uh, specific tastes of what you like. Some people are, are religious about the way they dress the way they take care of their hair, the way they keep their car clean or their house. I was at a friend's house recently and I opened up the silverware drawer to get a fork and all the cutlery was perfectly put to bed, spooning each other to the right. It was gorgeous. If you've ever seen our cutlery drawer, it's more of a ball pit, really, than a drawer. The point is really just to pull something out that may be useful in eating your dinner. But all of us understand on some level the importance of discipline and practice. By definition, religion is about the things we hold on to. And we hold on to these ideas, these principles, in the hope that they will guide us, they will, they will steer our behavior and choices for our own benefit and the greater good. This comes in real handy when we find ourselves in a dilemma and don't know what to do. We can often be guided by some principles that we are allowing to inform and challenge our circumstances, regardless of how we may feel. And these are good things. My friend Jeff religiously trained in the gym even when he didn't feel like it. Jeff got back up even when he was knocked down because he was determined. Jeff held on to a belief that in order to win well, he also had to accept defeat. And these guided him in his life to the point of reputation and accolades. But when Jeff was unable to recognize the same principles in his personal life, when it came to struggling with his emotions and unforgiveness, with personal loss and rejection, with stress and despair. Jeff had nothing to hold on to. He knew how to care for his body, but not his mind, and definitely not his soul. Religion, by one definition, are the principles and disciplines that we practice, the values that we hold on to that are meant to help us navigate when we don't know what to do. This is the core of what it means to be a Christian. It says more about what I'm holding myself to and the desire that as I practice and express these ideas, I will become more than I was without them. Because the truth is, 
There are many times in all of our lives when we just don't know what to do. We will know what we feel like doing, absolutely. But that isn't necessarily the best thing for us or for others in our life. And this is why many feel like they're drifting in this life from one relationship, addiction, trend, or fad. They haven't anchored to anything that can help them withstand the current that is taking them down the path of least resistance. Like I said a couple of weeks ago, you don't have to let your circumstances determine your life's direction. You can let your choices do that for you. And that is what, by definition, religion is meant to do. It determines the things we hold on to that will influence our choices. This is also what I mean when I say that I don't just believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus when he says he is the way. He's inviting us into that very same way of living that he modeled. The way of Jesus is just as much a physical experience as it is a mental and a spiritual one, because all three are connected. To desire the Jesus way is to desire his values, his ideas about love and hate, scarcity, abundance, worry, fear, joy, all of these things. And the Jesus way influences the whole human experience. This is what Jesus was getting at when he finished his teaching on that mountain. That famous sermon uh, that we, we call the Sermon on the Mount that we talk so much about here at the parish where Jesus speaks new life into the common problems of the human experience. He teaches us to hold on to the values of another reality, to embody the ethics of another kingdom. And here's how he describes it at the end of that Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. After he's just taught for a whole afternoon and people have listened, he says this. So here it is. Anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. Jesus is telling those listening, and in turn us, that his teachings are more than devotionals. They are meant for us to bind ourselves to, to hold on to, or in his words, to build our lives upon. His teachings about love and grief, about fear and worry, about forgiveness and humility, non-attachment, about mercy, just to name a few. They are more than ideals. They are the way to a better life. Not one without suffering, but through suffering. Not one without poverty or sickness or heartbreak, but one that can withstand those storms. If we build our lives on His ways, then when the storms come and our house shakes, it will not be destroyed. Yeah, we may lose some shingles, a broken window, uh, the gazebo's gone, but our foundation will hold. You see, at the parish, we have learned from our Mennonite tradition that the teachings about Jesus are important, but it is the teachings of Jesus that are the way forward for us. In light of that teaching, religion is a beautiful word. When it implies the kingdom ethics of God, 
Yes, it is what will save us all from the many hells we experience in this life. Now, whenever I share these ideas in an introduction to spirituality group with a room full of agnostics and atheists, when I'm finished, almost everyone agrees that these are brilliant ideas. That we all need to have made choices about love and pain and suffering before we experience them in the hopes that those truths will guide us when we cannot see clearly. That would require us to have learned something the last time we've struggled with love and pain and suffering. Instead, if we're just waiting in the heat of the moment for us to make a good decision, we're not thinking clearly. Most people in the room will agree that in these moments that we're confronted with choice and we don't know what to do, those predetermined principles can save us from a lot of unnecessary hurt and suffering. But there's a question that always comes up. Aaron, they'll ask, if religion is such a good word, if it's such a beautiful thing, why is it causing so much pain in the world? And when that question comes from the lips of someone experiencing PTSD because of 20 years in Afghanistan fighting a terrible religious war, you got to choose your words very carefully. They, in this moment, are experiencing cognitive dissonance. They're holding two opposing ideas. One, religion has messed up the world. Two, that religious practice can save us from the worst of ourselves and perhaps encourage the best of us. And they're both right. You see, here's the caveat. Here's the key that makes it work. Religion is only beautiful if it's seen as a means to a beautiful end and not the end in itself. I have to introduce another word here. That word is spirituality. By my definition, spirituality is when we feel an awareness and connection to the divine, to God, to something greater than me and you, to that which Jesus came to point us to, to demonstrate, to model, to embody. And in those moments when we make that connection, we feel small but not insignificant. Spirituality is the awakening of and teasing to the surface the very image of God that we are all created in. It is a beautiful word. And our religious practices and values are meant to awaken in us this very connection. A spiritual life is the goal. And religious practice is what moves us there. Religious practice is meant to be the tools we use to build a spiritual life. Jesus thought so too. He confronted a group of religious zealots who had it backwards. For them, religious practice was the goal. And in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, Jesus uh, is challenged by some religious leaders um, who are criticizing the fact that his disciples were picking the heads of wheat as they walked through a field on the Sabbath. You see, in their tradition, the Sabbath is for rest, and any work at all is forbidden. And Jesus clarifies for them that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. This would apply to all the religious laws of the Torah as well. They are created to serve, not to enslave. Religious practice is a tool, not a chain. So when you understand that, wow, everything changes. My Christian practices that I have learned from the ways of Jesus compel me to love in all of its expressions. Kindness, patience, humility, regardless of how I feel, these are the way forward. 
This way of Jesus that I have chosen to make the foundation of my life includes the practice of nonviolence, and not just physical violence, but verbal, mental violence as well. I can think terrible things in my head. The choice to always desire forgiveness and generosity at all costs, because if I don't, it takes more. Jesus has said, this is the way, and I want to believe him. And Jesus is right. When I practice the way he showed and preached, they take me to a place where I become fully alive spiritually, often at the expense of my own ego, and that's okay. The reason it's so difficult is because it just isn't easy. Now, you can quote me on that one. My Christian practices connect me to God, who, and this is key, is not a Christian. To be clear, Jesus wasn't a Christian either, and God is not a Christian. Christian refers to the way, the disciplines I practice, the values I hold on to, the foundation on which I've built my life. Christianity is a description. It's not a title. We did a whole series on this last year. Christianity is meant to be a description of how we live, not a title that we wear. Jesus didn't come to end religion. He came to transcend it. Nowhere does Jesus deny his own religious heritage. Jesus practices the religious traditions of his own Judaism. Yet, he was bigger than it. That's why in the early church, you had practicing Jews and non-Jewish people gathered together who had a foundation for their common spirituality, the teachings and ethics of Jesus. Yet many of them practiced different ways. It's beautiful, yet it was complicated. Much of the New Testament are letters from the Apostle Paul written to his friends, uh, trying to have everyone kind of get along and get over their differences and instead focus on their unity because there wasn't uniformity. So my religious practice isn't the goal. It's a way to awaken in me something so beautiful and transformative that I feel alive spiritually. But when religious practice is the goal, when certain religions or denominations see themselves as the ends and not the means, a chain and not a tool, they become very dangerous. They see themselves as something to be protected. We witnessed this at Easter. The religious establishment of Jesus' day had him put to death because he threatened the religious establishment itself. He was pushing them to see beyond what they had come to believe and protect. And fear led them to break their own religious practice because the foundation they held on to was power and not love. It's always important to ask, what is this all pointing to? Where is this taking me? You see, a finger pointing to the moon is not the moon itself. A finger can be used, but he who only looks at the finger will never see the moon. It's a famous Buddhist teaching story. Religious practice that isn't pointing to something beyond itself as the goal will become toxic and dangerous. Religious practice should be pointing to a spiritual life. And if it doesn't, then there's nothing spiritual about them. Now you know why there are dangerous religions in the world. Because they aren't interested in anything but their own agenda. To hold the truth inside their fists and control access to it. 
and limit anyone who might threaten that. Not only is this form of religion dangerous, but religion without spirituality becomes politics. The worst marriage that produces the ugliest of children. Radical Islam is a great example in our time. The veterans from Afghanistan have witnessed in radical Islam a religious practice that doesn't want to take you anywhere because it is the goal. It is the ends. So in the case of radical Islam, we see a religion that doesn't have anything spiritual about it. It's very dangerous. Using the language of religion, but none of its spirit. It's nothing but a political game. But we don't have to travel across the ocean to experience a dangerous religion disconnected from anything spiritual. Fundamental conservative Christianity here in the West is no less dangerous. The policing of morality, the burning of books, the celebration of violence and guns, it's absolutely crazy and dangerous. And in fact, politics disguised as religious. You say all the right things to gain power. You have a Christian religion that looks nothing like its founder. Love your enemies? Do good to those who trouble you? Care for the least of these amongst you because it's there that I will come to you? The message of Jesus. No wonder he emphasized that, right? No wonder Jesus is known. This is his inaugural message. Now is the time. The world of God is within reach. Change your thinking to a better way and trust this good news. So what do you practice to challenge and change your thinking? What disciplines do you hold on to in the hopes of transformation? What is the foundation of your life? What are you choosing every day to hold on to so that when you can't see the way, these will guide you? Is it prayer? Meditating on the teachings of Jesus, spiritual community, forgiveness, grace, kindness, compassion, humility, generosity, love in its many expressions? None of these are easy at times but they produce in us more than the sum total of their parts. As I bring this to a close, let me read something to you that is one of my favorite quotes from Barbara Brown Taylor. She writes that people encounter God under shady oak trees on riverbanks, at the tops of mountains, and in long stretches of barren wilderness. God shows up in whirlwinds, starry skies, burning bushes, and perfect strangers. When people want to know more about God, Jesus tells them to pay attention to the lilies of the field, the birds of the air, to women kneading bread, and workers lining up for their pay. Whoever wrote this stuff believed that people could learn as much about the ways of God from paying attention to the world as they could from paying attention to Scripture. People can learn as much about the ways of God from business deals gone bad or sparrows falling from to the ground as they can from reciting the books of the Bible in order. They can learn as much from falling in love or from a wildflower as they can from knowing the Ten Commandments by heart. Jesus believed and taught that buried in our everyday ordinary lives are secrets that can actually help produce in us a beautiful life. We just have to wake up and consider that the Spirit of God is always at work, wooing us to His presence, even if that presence is in the form of an apple blossom, reminding us that we're worthy, that we're loved, and we're not alone. My friend Jeff, the boxer, the man who just found out he was religious, I asked him to go and write me something. Now, he was a bit intimidated at first because he's a boxer, not a writer. He had meat hooks instead of hands. 
He was going to have to tape a pen to his index finger. But I promised him that this would be a simple assignment. I said, I'm going to give you a question. And just write for me the answer. He said, okay, I can do that. I said, here's the question. How can boxing save your life? Seven days later, he found me with a four-page letter. He highlighted all the disciplines that he already knew in boxing, the things he practiced religiously, the things that helped him overcome his opponents, the greatest opponent being himself. Then he applied all those principles to his own addiction. And I'm telling you, it was a knockout. Six weeks later, when he was leaving treatment, sober and transformed, with a new life built on a strong foundation of principle, values, truths, friendships, honesty, and an awareness of his own limitations and his own strengths, and his need for something greater than him to hold on to in the fog of life. He told me that spirituality finally made sense, that he got it, and he was holding on. Loving God, open our eyes to see that this is your world. And creation itself shouts to us of your incredible nature and character. We are thankful for the way of Jesus. And when we follow it, we will get where he's leading us, to you and your presence. May we build our lives on the foundation of his love, of his way. And may it guide us through the fog and bring us to a place of wholeness. Amen.